Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, all that we offer to you in this time of worship and of praise, that they may be truly in keeping with your purpose and purpose in the world. Your love, your great compassion, your abiding presence, and your call to build a world of justice and of equity so that we might all live in that true peace, which is the symptom of your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. In these days of the pandemic, it's so important for us uh, to look back to history, uh, rich large, and also particularly to the history of the people of God, Israel, and those of us Gentiles who've been called into the covenant with God through Jesus Christ, and God's abiding care and providence, God's faithfulness in times of great trouble. It's so important for us to remember that our trouble, unique in its dimensions and particularities perhaps, but perennial in the reality that God's people are always facing challenges because life necessarily entails suffering, but also that God's people are tried and tested and called to a deeper level of understanding, to a, a deeper consciousness of the abiding presence of God. So we look back uh, to the scriptures to remind us how God, in, in times of trouble, was reaching out uh, to God's people, Israel. A great source for this, of course, is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and particularly in the last third of that book, which is a prophecy of consolation for the Israelites who had been carried off into captivity in Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And now, a generation or two later, uh, promised restoration when Cyrus of Persia, further to the east, had conquered Babylon and told the Israelites to return home uh, to their land, that the temple might be rebuilt, that the city of Jerusalem might be restored, that Zion would again become a beacon of light uh, to all the world. Even in the midst of the great devastation that they had experienced, the abiding presence and the reassuring promises of God who is faithful. This is the defining attribute of God in Scripture. God is faithful, compassionate, forgiving, abiding, everlasting in that love not tempestuous and not capricious and not willful or spiteful, but forgiving, faithful, compassionate, a justice which is not retributive punishment, but a justice which is restorative, that calls the people back to who they truly are. So God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, For Zion's sake I will keep, not keep silent any longer. 
For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings of the earth will see your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give to you. You shall be a crown of beauty, a mantle of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem, a wreath of righteousness in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, and your land shall no longer be called desolate, but you shall be called my delight that is in you. You shall be called my delight that is in you, in your land, just as the young man and the young woman or the young person joins oneself to another, so shall your builder be joined to you in spousal love, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride and as the bride rejoices over the bridegroom, as bride rejoices in bride and bridegroom rejoices in bridegroom, so shall your God rejoice over you. This wonderful image from Isaiah of a God who loves us in a kind of spousal relationship, that faithfulness and commitment, particularly when we are tried and deeply tested. We are tested, of course, in these days, not just by the facts of the pandemic, but by the ongoing need as a people of God who have crafted together a republic dedicated to the proposition that all people are created equal of living up to that creed, of fulfilling, as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, to fulfill our creed and our promises to one another as citizens. So I'd like us to read together with an ear that's differently cocked than we might normally have to the story of the wedding at Cana from the second chapter of John. Now the second chapter of John entails this story in which Jesus and his mother at a wedding, he performs his first miracle, or in John's terminology, his first sign. Next week, uh, Vanessa will preach on Luke chapter 4, which is, in Luke's estimation, the inaugural event, the, the time in which Jesus, in a sense, goes public in his ministry. But in John, it's at Cana at this wedding. Now, if you ever go to Israel, and I hope you will, when you go to the various sites, you are inevitably confronted with gift shops, right? If you go to Bethlehem, you'll find so many wonderful nativity sets carved out of olive wood depicting the Holy Family, the shepherds, the magi, the infant child, the angels. When you go to Nazareth, you'll find shops that are dedicated to Jesus' childhood and his life as the son of a carpenter. When you go to Tabga, you'll find the wonderful bowls which depict the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fishes, Tabga being the site that's traditionally attributed to that miraculous feeding. 
And all of these are very beautiful. In Jerusalem, when you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher and right outside the many crosses and the depictions of the empty tomb. But one place when you go, uh, you'll find a gift in the gift shop, which is, I would say, a little bit cheesy. And that are, at Cana, these jars, which when you pour water into them, when you pour the water out, it's purple, <laughs> like it's wine. Now, obviously, there's some dye in the little jar. It's a little cheesy. But this miraculous changing of the water into wine. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. Mother of Jesus was there. Now what's remarkable here is Mary, the mother of Jesus, makes two appearances in the Gospel of John. This one, and at the foot of the tomb. Singularly important moments in Jesus' ministry, but these are the two turning points. The beginning of his public ministry, and, in a very real sense, the fulfillment of that public ministry in his destructions at the hand of Rome. His mother is Mary of Jesus, Mother Mary was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill each jar with water. They filled them up to the very brim. And then he said to the servants, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward of the feast. So they took and they went to the chief steward who tasted the water that had now become wine and he did not know where it had come from because the servants who had drawn out the water knew but had not told him. And so the steward called to the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, I'm not sure that I would turn uh, to the second chapter of John for tips on being a good host, serving the good wine first, and then waiting until my guests were drunk to serve the poor wine. Not very hospitable, and I would say highly irresponsible to keep feeding wine to my guests until they're drunk. But nevertheless, the key phrase, I think, in this passage is that Mary says to him, do this. And he says, what business is it of mine? My time has not yet 
come. This concept of the right time, we've talked about this before, the different terms that exist in Greek for time, chronos, the general sense of time, the marking of the days and the weeks that we root of our chronology. But then there's the deeper sense of the kairos, the right time, the full time, the time that is pleroma, flowing over, full, pregnant, ripe for the picking, ripe for the harvest, right for stepping out and doing the right thing. Tomorrow, we celebrate the anniversary of the birth of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., whose entire life and activity was born of his deep personal faith and his uncommon and uncanny dedication and devotion to following Jesus completely, even to the point of being willing to step into the mouth of the gates of hell, to go into the lion's den and transform by his preaching of the theology, the ethics of love, a system which was not living up to its highest ideal. The remarkable thing about uh, Reverend King is that on the one hand, he was a remarkably conservative person. If you looked at the a narrative a visual poem that I sent out on Thursday or Friday morning, I guess. Um, the montage of images from the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. What's remarkable here is the number of people who are carrying American flags, waving the flags in the belief that the march was calling America to its truest self. King believed in the promise of America. And so in that sense, deeply conservative, that is to say, rooted in the bedrock of the American ethos. But on the other hand, deeply radical in recognizing the degree, the enormous degree, to which that promise remained unfulfilled and, in fact, actively subverted in the lives of millions upon millions of Americans, generation upon generation upon generation, even to our own day. Reverend King was calling America to a different reality, the higher reality of God's justice and its fruit, which is peace. Of course, he said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the product of the presence of justice. So when I hear this story about Jesus, my time is not right. This is not the right time for me. But then, in fact, it becomes the right time. We can ask ourselves, is this the right time? Is this the kairos 
for us. I believe that in a very real way, America is living in a Kairos moment. This is a time that is ripe to do what is right. That's one of his most famous expressions. Aware of the finitude of time, he said, we must live creatively, knowing that the time is always ripe to do what is right. There is no time but the present. The past is gone. The future is not here. But the time that has been entrusted into our care, is that ripe time? The deepening consciousness of the members of our congregation and the reinvigoration of our commitment to work for racial justice and to welcome the stranger, welcoming people from cultures entirely different than our own, of religious traditions different than our own, seeing in each person we meet the living presence of God, is a legacy but not a legacy to be put in a box and locked in a case and gazed at lovingly, but a legacy, a legacy to be picked up and carried, a legacy that feeds and nurtures and directs, inspires and invigorates us to live in the way that Dr. King lived, to see in every person the living presence of God. But not to be so consumed with the idea of being nice that we will not name that which is unjust or act to restore or to build that which is just. When you think about Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the healer and lover of humble human souls, why did the Romans kill him? Because he was a threat to the prevailing order of injustice the oppression of millions upon millions of people. When you think about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who preached nonviolence, lived nonviolence, worked for change through nonviolence, who spoke with great love for his enemies, and was killed in an act carried out by white supremacy, why did they kill him? Because he threatened the established social, political, and economic order. This is not child's play. This is not a summer picnic. This is not a romp in the woods of a fantasy land of change, but
but there's a real engagement in the hard work, the persistence, the trust, the abiding knowledge that as we work together, pray together, walk together, we do so in a tradition which has called us to our highest, our best selves. Kairos. This is the time, ripe with God's purpose. Amen.